0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dino dig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Sabrina.
0: And today we'll be talking about Acrocanthosaurus atokensis, as well as some dinosaur news. So first in the news is an article that was published in the journal Scientific Reports by Jun Chang Liu and Stephen Broussat, titled, A Large Short-Armed Winged Dromaeosaurid Dinosauria theropoda from the Early Cretaceous of China and its implications for feather evolution. So this discovery is from the early Cretaceous, like the title suggests, and it was found in the Liaoning province in northeastern China. So this area is already known from five other dromaeosaurids, which the author point out is currently believed to be the group most closely related to modern birds. They named the new species Genuang Long Suni, and it was originally discovered by a farmer, but most of the name comes from Mr. Genuang son, who secured the specimen for the study and for the museum that he works for. The long part of the name, the end in the Genuang Long, comes from the Chinese word for dragon, so that's pretty cool. The authors continually refer to this finding as a large-bodied and short-armed dromaeosaurid, which differs from other dromaeosaurids, which typically had nearly even fore and hind limbs. Januon Long also appeared to have a lot of veined feathers, which is kind of like the quill feathers that you'd expect to see on a bird, except on its legs where it looked a little bit fuzzier. <laughs> and I know that's not really scientific, but we sometimes talk about dino fuzz, and that's kind of what it appears to have had down there. Author Stephen Broussat said... Quote, I don't think we ever thought we would find a fairly large dromaeosaurid with short arms and huge wings that look just like those of modern birds. These new finds continue to help us better understand one of the major evolutionary transitions in the history of the planet: the origin of small, feathered, winged, flying birds from dinosaurs. The authors describe that the short-armed body plan in dromaeosaurids reveals a. Quote, Previously unrecognized homoplasy. Homoplasy is the term that describes a feature that evolves separately in different groups rather than just being shared from a common ancestor. We've talked about this in the past, but those times we called it convergent evolution. They also believe that this may indicate that Liaoning taxa may not be a valid group, which complicates the taxonomy of the dromaeosaurid group. They basically said that that area of China probably had a little grouping, you know, evolutionarily. But looking at this species, it kind of screws that all up. The discovery itself looks very impressive. So there are really clear indications of where the feathers were around a remarkably complete fossil. It actually reminds me of the Archaeopteryx fossils that come from Germany that you've probably seen at some point. But as I mentioned, the arms are much shorter than the ones you've seen on something like an Archaeopteryx. It also had a long tail, which looks like it's about half the length of its body, but they weren't able to recover the full length of the tail. They only found a piece of it, so they're not exactly sure how long it was. There are a lot of feathers everywhere, as well as a tooth-filled snout and big claws on its feet. So ultimately, it looks like an extra turkey-like velociraptor, or maybe a more dinosaur-like Archaeopteryx. Or if you're feeling imaginative, like the University of Edinburgh paleontologist Stephen Broussat, you could call it a, quote, fluffy feathered poodle from hell. <laughs> Which is definitely the most interesting description. I'm guessing he calls it that because its size is kind of similar to a dog. And then it's got the snout that is more dog-like than bird-like, I guess. The researchers think that even with all its feathers, it probably still couldn't fly because of its short arms. They estimate it at about 6 feet or 1.8 meters in length and think it might be the largest known dinosaur with wings. Tianyuraptor was discovered earlier and is probably a little bit bigger. It's known from a single specimen, but the specimen that they did uncover didn't have any signs of feathers preserved with it. So, they're not really sure. It does look like a dromaeosaurid, so it likely had feathers, which would possibly make it a larger dinosaur with wings, but we can't be sure at this point. Probably the most interesting detail is that the feathers on this fossil appear to have had all of the characteristics needed for flight, but it almost certainly couldn't fly. And since it was in the early Cretaceous, well before some of the other dinosaurs were evolving and possibly starting to be able to fly or kind of glide a little bit, it doesn't really make sense that they would have had these feathers that would let them fly. So the scientists are a little bit puzzled about this, and they say they're not really sure why they even evolved this style of feather. They speculate that they might have used them like a peacock for display, or maybe they used them for egg brooding, kind of holding in a bunch of heat around their eggs, but almost certainly not flight, so it's pretty unusual and interesting.
1: KQED Science wrote an in-depth article about how we don't know for sure what killed the dinosaurs. Basically, for a long time, scientists came up with a bunch of hypotheses, but it wasn't until Berkeley scientists, and specifically Luis Alvarez and his son Walter Alvarez, came up with the idea that a comet hit Earth. And that's pretty widely accepted today, but recently, Berkeley geophysicist Mark Richards came up with the idea that the comet's impact probably triggered a magnitude 11 earthquake, and apparently the scale does not stop at 10, which would have been felt across the globe, that's how large an 11 is, and caused volcanoes to erupt, especially ones in India, in the decaying traps. This would have released a lot of gases, like CO2, and changed the temperatures considerably. To test this theory and the connection, scientists will have to analyze rocks from the decay traps, which will take time to date them. But knowing this will help narrow down the extinction event to possibly under 10,000 years. There's a lot of dinosaur happenings going on in Nagasaki, Japan. The most recent one is a new hotel called Henna Hotel, which will have dinosaur robots point guests where to check themselves in. The hotel's part of an amusement park called the Huis Tenbosch, and in the rooms there are lamp-sized robots that can tell the time, weather, and control the lights, and some robots in the hotel deliver room service. The idea is to cut costs by using more robots, though there are people watching security cameras to make sure that things run smoothly. And you can see photos in the link that we'll post on our blog. It's kind of interesting. The dinosaur robots with a bellhop hat on.
0: So I'm assuming they're on wheels and they're not walking around.
1: And I think they're just at reception. Oh, so they just lamps. kind of
0: stand still and point.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Next to the news is an article out of the New York Times titled Utah's Grand Staircase Leads Back in Time to Dinosaur Shangri-La. So the Grand Staircase in southern Utah in the united states is a one point nine million acre national monument full of rocks and it looks like not too much else but apparently there are some plants there and their roots actually shoot down up to 30 feet into the rock and they actually start to eat at the calcium that's stored in the fossils of dinosaur bones. So there's a bit of a battle between the plants and the paleontologists trying to get to the fossils first, which is crazy. I never realized that a plant could decay a fossil like that. The so large part of the park is called the Hyparowitz Plateau, which is a 50 mile long high elevation ridge. And within that plateau, there is an area called the Kaiparowitz Formation which is a band of sandstone and mudstone from about 76.6 to 74.5 million years ago. So the way that the sand and mud were deposited left the fossils very well preserved and they even have some leaves that are preserved so well that they still have their cellular structures intact and in the article they describe it as you could peel them right out of the rock. I'm not sure exactly how that works but that's pretty awesome. They've discovered more than 12,000 plants in the area so it shows just how well preserved some of the things are there they've discovered hadrosaurs two new unique species of tyrannosaur teratophonius curi which means monstrous murderer and lithronax argestes which means king of gore and that actually is the oldest known tyrannosaurid at 81 million years old It's not quite from the Kaiparowitz formation part of the monument. That's why it's a little bit older than the age I mentioned earlier. And then there's also a lot of Ceratopsians and other theropods like Trudons and whatnot that they've discovered there. The fossils in this area are a lot more dense than in a lot of other dinosaur fossil formations. And they believe it's because of the incredible density of plant life that was around at the time. Dr. Ian Miller, a paleontologist who frequents the area, said, quote, To get that many bigger-than-hippo-sized herbivores living in a small space, you need an incredible plant ecosystem to support them. This is unprecedented in the Cretaceous. We've never seen a forest that was so heavily dominated by vines and the fossil record really anywhere on the planet. And what he's referring to is the fact that there are lots of different leaves and some vines that they've discovered. And what they compare it to is in on the modern earth, if you look at the most dense forests, you'll see a lot of vines all over the place. And it looks like this was just like that. There are tons of vines and tons of plant life. And because of that, it could support a very large amount of these different dinosaurs. In addition to dinosaurs, they've also found 17 turtle species, 6 crocodile species, fish, frogs, salamanders, and even sharks, because it was a little bit of an inland sea at one point. It's near Zion National Park, a popular place to go if you're into camping and hiking, and also Bryce Canyon, but it's much bigger than those places, and it could be a good spot to visit if you're doing some adventuring in one of those other places.
1: And last in the news, Guy Giselle, who's the executive producer of Field Station Dinosaurs in Secaucus, New Jersey, plans to create a dinosaur-themed attraction in Derby, Kansas. The project will cost around $39 million, funded through bonds, with plans to open in the spring of 2017. And the idea is to make the attraction an edutainment attraction, which means education and entertainment. And it would be open year-round with a museum and possibly a footprint gallery and a mini golf course as well as a ropes course. And there's also plans to run a national dinosaur camp and overnight stays. So Garrett and I might have to try that out come 2017.
0: Yeah, $39 million would get quite a museum. Some of the ones we've talked about, like the one in the outback of Australia, I think they only had $500,000. So it could be pretty awesome. Some really good mini golf. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August
1: 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dino You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash D-I-N-O-D-I-G. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? And now for our dinosaur of the day, Acrocanthosaurus, which coincidentally is, well, not coincidentally since we chose this dinosaur for the week, but it's the antagonist in Raptor Red. So the Red, the Utah raptor, has to kind of stay away from Acrocanthosaurus. Anyway, Acrocanthosaurus means high-spined lizard, and it's a theropod that lived in North America during the early Cretaceous. Its fossils have been found in Oklahoma, Texas, and Wyoming, and teeth have been found in Maryland. There's only one species, it's Acrocanthosaurus atokensis. J. Willis Stovall and Juan Langston Jr. named the species in 1950, though the first fossils were discovered in the early 1940s. The holotype and paratype are partial skeletons and skulls from the antlers formation in Oklahoma. Acrocanthosaurus atokensis is named after Atoka County in Oklahoma where the holotype was found. Another partial skeleton was found in 2012 in the Cloverly Formation in Wyoming, the juvenile, and it may have been the only theropod in the Cloverly Formation. There's a tooth found in Southern Arizona, that's possibly Acrocanthosaurus, and teeth, again, found in the Arendelle Formation in Maryland. In the 1990s, two more complete skeletons were described. From Texas, a partial skeleton without a skull, and from Oklahoma, a specimen found by Cephas Hall and Sid Love and it was an even more complete skeleton that was nicknamed Fran, and is the largest and only known one with a complete skull and forelimb. So what happened is, after finding a few pieces of the Acrocanthosaurus, Cephas Hall and Sid Love got permission to dig for the dinosaur. The land was owned by Firehauser, a timber and building materials company, and they got permission from the regional Timberlands manager, who said that the company had no interest in paleontological findings, But then once the company found out how valuable it was, after three to four years of excavating, they contested the ownership and it went to court. And this is the first time that two amateurs successfully excavated a major dinosaur quarry by themselves without financial or logistical support from a university or commercial fossil company. So that's pretty cool.
0: It sounds kind of like the documentary Dinosaur 13 we talked about with the controversial contesting of an excavated dinosaur fossil once they found out it was valuable.
1: Yeah, a little bit. This acrocanthosaurus, Fran, ended up in the North Carolina Museum after the court battle when a, quote, mysterious donor gave millions of dollars to the museum to purchase the set of fossils for display. And there's a lot more detail in Russell Farrell's book, acrocanthosaurus bones of contention so we'll probably have to read that soon
0: yeah sabrina and i actually saw that acrocanthosaurus in the museum and it's in a really cool display with a herbivore and they're kind of in a little battle in this neat little domed roof area of the museum worth checking out
1: so again the donor basically purchased this acrocanthosaurus skeleton for three million dollars in december of 1997 and then gave it to the north carolina museum of natural sciences And Black Hills Institute in South Dakota cleaned and prepared the bones. And it was because of this find of Fran that scientists realized Acrocanthosaurus was related to Allosaurus and Carcharodontosaurus. The bones of the North Carolina Museum's Acrocanthosaurus were jet black from minerals in the sediment. It also had a punctured shoulder blade and several healed broken ribs. The Black Hills Institute said it was one of the most difficult preparations that they had done due to moss and pyrite on the bones, which released acids when removed, so the bones had to be prepared in vacuum boxes, or the preparers had to use respirators, which added many additional hours to the preparation. And again, in the North Carolina Museum of Sciences, the acrocanthosaurus that you see is 54% of actual skeleton, it's not a replica. Sometimes Acrocanthosaurus is called Acro for short, and in the North Carolina Museum they nicknamed their Acrocanthosaurus the Terror of the South. There are possible Acrocanthosaurus footprints in the Glen Rose Formation of Central Texas, though it's unclear for sure if it is. However, it's close to the Antlers and Twins Mountains Formations, and it's from a similar time period during which the only theropod known from around then at that place was Acrocanthosaurus, so there's a good chance it is. The Glen Rose Tracks were found in 1938, and American Museum of Natural History paleontologist Roland T. Byrd studied them. One footprint seemed to skip a step. It had an overlapping footprint with a sauropod, so he thought that that meant the predator latched onto the sauropod prey with its teeth and maybe missed a step. Though this has been contested because the gait of the sauropod didn't change so it seems unlikely that the sauropod would have just continued on its merry way after being bitten at bird excavated the trackway in 1940 and half of it's now in the american museum of natural history in new york behind the apotosaurus and the other half is in the texas memorial museum in austin If you look at the track on display in the American Museum of Natural History in New York, you can see that the theropod prints are on top of the sauropod tracks, which could suggest it stalked the sauropod herd since its print came after the sauropods, but it's unclear when these tracks were made. They could have been made as a group, or the dinosaurs could have just happened to go that route, but at different times. David Thomas, an artist, and James Farlow, a paleontologist, reconstructed the trackway, showing that the predator followed the sauropod very closely, made the same turns, and probably interacted. Also, right before the theropod skipped a step, the sauropod left a drag mark, so maybe it was attacked and faltered, or it threw its weight to avoid being bitten. But they're not sure if it was an attack, they just know that there is a missing track. However, trackways are very fragile. For example, the half of the trackway at the Texas Memorial Museum has already deteriorated since being on display. At one point, it was thought maybe there was a second species of Acrocanthosaurus, when vertebrae with tall spines, similar to how Acrocanthosaurus's tall spines, from the early Cretaceous were found in England, and in 1988, Gregory S. Paul said that they were a second species called Acrocanthosaurus altaspinax, which was later classified as a new genus called Beckelspinax. When it was first discovered, Acrocanthosaurus and other big theropods were only known from partial skeletons, which led to a lot of reclassifying. For a while, Acrocanthosaurus was part of Megalosauridae, which was a wastebasket taxon, as we talked about before, and some scientists also thought of it as a Spinosaurid until the 1980s because of the long spines. It was also considered part of the Allosauridae family, but now scientists mostly classify it as part of the Carcharodontosauridae family and Carcharodontosaurids may have originated in Europe and dispersed into other continents at the time, called Gondwana. In 2011, paleontologists Drew R. Eddy and Julia A. Clark found in a study by comparing and contrasting anatomical features that Acrocanthosaurus shared a common ancestor with Allosaurus, but it does belong to the Carcharodontosaurid family. Acrocanthosaurus was one of the largest theropods at 38 feet or 11.5 meters in length and weighing up to 6.2 tons. It was a typical large theropod, but it lived in the early Cretaceous, millions of years before other ones like T. rex or giganotosaurus. It had a long skull, about 4.5 feet, or 1.4 meters long. It had a lot of teeth. The upper jaw had 19 curved serrated teeth. It may or may not be clear how many teeth are in the lower jaw, depending on who you ask. Some places I found that it had 68 teeth. Other places said the maxilla and premaxilla had 38 teeth. Like Allosaurids, Acrocanthosaurus had long, low ridges that ran on each side of its snout from the nostril to the eye. It had a typical Allosaurid skeleton, which is why it was classified as such for a while. It had a long, heavy tail to counterbalance short forelimbs, three-clawed digits on each hand. It was probably not a fast runner because its femur was longer than its tibia, which is the opposite of small, fast-running dinosaurs. It was probably an apex predator and preyed on sauropods, ornithopods, and chylosaurs. Its feet had four digits each, and the first digit was smaller than the rest and did not touch the ground. An analysis of an acrocanthosaurus forelimb found that it probably had a lot of cartilage in its joints, like living archosaurs, and when resting, the forelimbs would hang from the shoulders, elbows bent, claws facing inwards, the humerus angled slightly backwards. It could not swing its arm in a circle, but it could swing it backwards, and it wouldn't have been able to completely straighten out its arm or even bend it much but it would be able to bend all its digits backwards so it could nearly touch the wrist. And the first digit of its hand had the biggest claw, it was permanently flexed. Because their forelimbs could not swing very far forward, it wouldn't have been able to scratch its own neck, and it probably used its mouth to hunt, but once it had prey in its jaws, it could not have used its arms to hold the prey against its body and impale it with its claws. It may have also held prey in its jaws while slashing into it with its claws. Its eyes faced to the side, so it would have cocked its head to look at the prey. In 2005, scientists did a CT scan of a replica of an Acrocanthosaurus cranial cavity and found that it was most similar to Carcharodontosaurus and Gigantosaurus, which was a fellow Carcharodontosaurid. The brain was somewhat S-shaped, which is like a crocodile more so than a bird. had Mm. large olfactory bulbs, so it had a good sense of smell. When resting, its head would have been looking downwards towards the ground based on the CT scan about 25 degrees downward. Because Acrocanthosaurus was a large predator, it probably had a large range and lived in many different areas. Deinonychus also lived in the area, but it was a lot smaller, so not much competition. Acrocanthosaurus was a bipedal predator with, notably, the high neural spines, which probably supported muscle over its neck, back, and hips. These were 17-inch or 43-centimeter spines from its vertebrae on its back, neck, and tail. These spines were sometimes more than two and a half times the height of the vertebrae they came out of, though Spinosaurus had much higher spines. It's unclear exactly what the spines did. Maybe it helped with communication to store fat or control temperature. So the spines may have been used for visual display as a sign of being healthy. It stored fat that maybe the fatter they were, the healthier they were, and easier to track mates or something like that. Or it had different colors or markings. Or again, if it was bigger, it may have showed dominance that it was the better hunter, so it would win in a fight. Twin mountains and antlers formations where Acrocanthosaurus had been found were large floodplains that drained into a shallow inland sea in the early Cretaceous. The sea then expanded and became the western interior seaway, which divided North America for most of the late Cretaceous. And Acrocanthosaurus, interestingly, is the state dinosaur of Oklahoma as of 2006, though Oklahoma already had a state fossil, Saurophaganax, which is a carnivore. So again, Acrocanthosaurus is a theropod, specifically a Carnosaur, in the family Carcharodontosauridae. Carnosaurs lived in the Jurassic and Cretaceous and includes Allosaurs in their relatives, and they used to include a large array of theropods. One of the largest ones is Gigantosaurus, not to be confused with Gigantosaurus, which is a large sauropod. And These are some of the largest known predatory dinosaurs. Carnosaurs have large eyes and narrow skulls, and many carnosaurs were later classified as more primitive theropods, including megalosaurids, spinosaurids, and ceratosaurs.
0: And our fun fact of the day is that along with crocodiles who are far from their normal habitat and some unusual whale skeletons, there's some evidence that dinosaur fossils were the inspiration for the dragon myths of Europe and China. So when you're thinking of King Arthur and whatever kind of crazy dragon fighting, probably just dinosaurs.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening and until next time.